We give glory and honor to God for granting us this opportunity to share with you. This is Adventist World Radio, the voice of hope. I'm your presenter, Samuel Mange. Lady Aching is in standby with the family life segment. Today, she will talk about legacy of a good marriage. But Ian will also be joining us during the Bible session, and he will be talking about the message of Noah. Gracious singers will start us off with the song, Precious Redeemer. Precious Redeemer, my brother and friend, Dear the Lord is my Savior. On me His grace and His blessings descend, I'm longing a Savior for thee. Longing a Savior and longing for thee. Best in the moment when Jesus has seen, Longing to be Savior with thee. Adventist World Radio, the voice of hope. It's now time for the Family Life segment. Join me as I welcome Lydia Archie. Hello, dear listener. Welcome to today's Family Life program. Today we'll talk about the legacy of a good marriage. Shall we pray? Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the marriage message that we're about to share. May you help us to use it in our marriage life that we may honor you in our love for each other. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you heard the term of someone living in the moment? It refers to someone who lives their life for immediate gratification without considering the consequences of what that could mean in the long run. 
It doesn't take into consideration any kind of legacy those types of actions could leave behind for others. The ripple effect of the consequences of their actions means nothing to them. If you were to live your life that way continually, as if you lived on an island and whatever you did didn't matter or affect anyone else, what kind of world would you help to create? We know the world that God created for us. It was good. But what kind of world and what quality of life are you creating for those around you? Would it be a world that would be enjoyable for those that come behind us? The scriptures say, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. But not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. That's found in 1 Corinthians 10, 23 and 24. Do you take into consideration the context of what these verses mean as you live your life? Sadly, many people live their lives outside and within their marriages in such a way that they can sing the song, I did it my way. Essentially, isn't that the tune that the world sings? In other words, do unto me as I want done unto me, and I will do unto you as I want done unto you. This is my life, and you can't tell me what to do or request from me what I don't want to do. And if you don't like it, that's too bad for you. I don't care whether it hurts your life or not. But what kind of world does that type of attitude leave us? And what kind of marriages would an attitude such as that create? Lonely, sad, and pathetic. They certainly wouldn't be the kind of marriages that reflect the love of the Lord. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2 through 3, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Several questions come to mind. What kind of world are you creating around you for others, especially your spouse and children? What kind of a legacy are you leaving out for your children to see and to follow? I've been thinking of this a lot lately because we had a neighbor die recently. As I attended her funeral, I saw her husband and her grown children stand in front of everyone and tell us all of what a wonderful wife, mother, and woman of God she was and how the world was a better place because of how she lived her life. She left behind a wonderful legacy that has graced all who knew her. At her funeral, her husband and grown children had printed up a brief testimony of her life, which included her birth, life, testimony of how she came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, and how she lived out her life in the light of eternity in a positive way. She was a glowing example of a Christ follower as a wife, mother, friend, and woman of God in how she gave of herself sacrificially, sacrificially, sacrificially to others around her. And truly, as the Bible says, her children were able to rise up and call her blessed because of how she lived. I'm reminded of a survey that was taken a while back and written about in the book Before a Bad Goodbye by Dr. Trim Clinton, and the sad result it showed. Only five out of a hundred spouses interviewed in a major marital study desired a marriage like their parents. Just five. Why? There were a number of reasons given, but I ultimately believe it's because your kids are watching. You may think you're hiding the anguish produced by your inability to connect and love, but you're kidding yourself. 
They hear it in every word to each other and see it in your lack of contact. It charges the air. My husband Steve has expressed to me that it is his goal in life that the words of the song, A Man of God, written by Geoffrey Benward, will exemplify his life. They are, I hope they will say of me that I loved my children and wife. Most of all, I hope they say I love Jesus more than life. So when I'm laid to rest, life's journey I have trod, I hope my children will say of me, Dad was a man of God. I hope they say of me my words were gentle and kind. Most of all, I hope to leave a life of truth behind. So when I'm laid to rest, life's journey I have trod, I hope they will say of me, here lies a man of God. Oh, to be a man of God, nothing more, nothing less. It's not what I did or did not do, but why I did it and for who. We will all leave a legacy, negative, positive, or so-so. What will yours be? As Tim Kimmel puts it in his book, Legacy of Love, your words, your schedule, your choices, your obedience, the way you suffer your victories, and the way you swallow your defeats all help to define your life. It is this definition that your children will rely on most as they seek to chart their own future. If your children were asked if they would want a marriage like their parents, would they say yes? If you don't have a spouse who wants to live in partnership as Christ would have, what about you personally? God didn't listen to Adam's excuse about how it was the woman he was given who caused him to sin. And he wouldn't listen to your excuse about your spouse causing you to do what you shouldn't. Can your children and those around you truly look at you as a person of integrity, a living example of someone who reflects the love and character of Christ? That is a legacy worth living. Think and pray about it. Today can be a new beginning for how you live out your life and the legacy you leave behind. We hope you will make it a goal to leave your legacy as one of a spouse who contributed good and not harm to your marriage. We pray that thousands of you will leave behind a legacy of a good marriage to the glory of God. This material is provided by Marriage Missions International. Until next time, God bless you. We appreciate those who have given us their thoughts concerning this program. We are here just for you. For those who have never communicated to us, you can start today by writing to the producer, Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 42276, code 001009Nairobi, Kenya. You can also email us at awr.org. Oh
I hope that you've been blessed with that lovely song from Gracious Singers and you've been looking forward to the Bible segment. Join me as I welcome Brother Ian. I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ, dear listener. Welcome to our study today and feel at the feet of Jesus. The topic of our study is the message of Noah. Sometimes you hear fervent saints declare, If I had lived in the days of Jesus, I would have been one of his followers. But do we know what was involved in such an open alignment with Jesus of Nazareth? Regardless of their status, people were cast out of the synagogue immediately. This meant they were boycotted in their business, disinherited from the families, and considered to be dead by all their friends. Will some indeed have made that choice if they had lived in Palestine 2,000 years ago? Yes, but only the ones who would rather die than sin in their current situation will have stepped out to follow the lowly Nazarene then. And will it be the same for the days of Noah? We've already learned that only eight were willing to risk the censor and ridicule of being a member of Noah's boat church. How many modern saints will have dared take a public stand for the outrageous project of building a huge ship on the side of a dry hill? Probably no other religious group in the world history has endured more negative publicity than Noah and his family. It has always been fascinating to me that Noah probably hired helpers to construct the ark, and they perished later on because they rejected the very means of salvation in which they invested much of their lives. And these were the people who had the greatest reason for believing that a flood was coming. Day after day, they listened to the earnest message of the old patriarch as he pleaded with relatives and friends to avail themselves of this way of escape. The Bible calls Noah a preacher of righteousness, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 5, which indicates that he might have spent more time calling for decisions than driving nails into the earth. How can we explain the amazing resistance to the powerful, spirit-filled appeals of Noah and his sons? It seems almost a classic example of majority influence. The dread of being indifferent has driven many sincere people to reject out of hand the appeal of conscience and sound judgment. It happened in Noah's days, and it still happens today. Prejudice and emotion, once aroused, has a greater influence on decision than all the logical truth in the world. None of the antediluvians could deny the persuasive evidence of those animals marching two by two and seven by seven into the completed ark. But the jeering multitude reminded them of the cost of nonconformity. They dared not to be different and show any support for the unpopular little group of religious standouts. I've tried to imagine the dynamics of that last appeal Noah made to the crowd of curious and Lucas. The sounds of construction have ceased and the tools have been put out of sight. The animals are all safely on board and Noah's family has finished transferring all the possessions into the massive windowless vessel. Of all the sermons which have ever been preached into the history of man, this is the one I would have preferred to hear. The drama of this moment was captured by our Lord Jesus when he said, As the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Jesus described the indifference with which that message will be received. They did it, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. 
Luke chapter 17 verse 27. What a commentary on the paralyzing effect of sin. People continue business as usual while the last moments of probation slip away. Has any other preacher operated under the emotional stress that constrained Noah that day? He was fully aware that in a few moments the door behind him will close forever on any hope of salvation for the human race. Only the words of this final sermon could make a difference for any living soul. The scriptures indicate that Christ by the Holy Spirit was preaching through Noah to the spirits of those sin-bound people. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 18 to 20. I'm sure there were tears in Noah's voice and on his cheeks as he pleaded with them to join him in the ark. Many in the audience were lifelong neighbors and perhaps Noah even called them by name as he pressed his appeal for decision. A solemn conviction held the crowd motionless as the old man paused to wipe his eyes. Then there was a restless stirring as some began to edge forward as though they would join the little group, but they were instantly drawn back by the hands of relatives or friends. I cannot enter fully into Noah's feelings as he turned to join his family in the ark for the last time but I have strong kinship with him in that lonely last call he extended to the crowd I've felt it every time I close a crusade and give the final invitation I always personally know individuals in that audience who are fighting the spirit of God they believe the truth tremble with conviction and are almost persuaded to come forward That's the way it must have been with Noah as he turned to beseech just one more time. But finally, he had to bring the meeting to a close and walk, weeping through the open door. And suddenly, that door began to move on its hinges. And within seconds, it had swung shut with a solid thud. There were nervous cries from some as the door closed. And then, a babble of excited conversation. "My, have you ever had anything like that in your life?" one voice came out above the others do you think he really could be correct about a flood asked another but then there was sharp dissent and some were pointing to the cloudless sky to loudly affirm what had been heard repeatedly since the ark project began it never has rained and these people are wild fanatics to believe such foolishness for two or three days Apprehension continued to grip the community especially as they passed the tightly closed ark each morning on their way to work but by midweek it seemed obvious to all that Noah's prediction had been totally wrong and even those who had been stirred deeply with conviction were embarrassed by their former concern to cover their chagrin some of them began to make mocking comments to anyone who would listen by the seventh day not one sympathetic sentiment was to be found favoring the cloistered family And then it happened. Clouds seemed to appear out of nowhere and drops of rain began to spatter against the hungry earth. Screams and cries rent the air as men, women, and children fled toward any shelter available. But then the water was pouring in torrents from the heavens and out of huge cavernous cracks in the ground. Those who were able to struggle to higher levels were quickly overwhelmed and dragged to their deaths, while the great cypress ark floated gently and safely on the rising waves. As it was in the days of Noah so shall it be in the days of the son of man a few faithful ones counted as fools and fanatics but courageous enough to follow unpopular truth and proclaim a special warning that the end is near will be saved have you heard it do you grasp the lesson our lord was teaching in the noah's sermon as it was so shall it be 
no ifs or ands or buts. So shall it be. The last night on earth will come for everyone when the heavens split wide open. And the glorious retinue of angels provide a dazzling freeway of splendor for the King of kings and the lords of lords. It will be unexpected and it will be too late for those who waited till the door of mercy closed. Friend, we have no time to joke around. We shall prepare for eternity by forming the right character. God bless you abundantly. Amen. I was your presenter Ian Muse and have a good time. It has been nice having your company. In case you have any views, comments, or questions about the program, you can write to the producer, Adventist World Radio, PO Box 422-76-00-100 Nairobi, Kenya, or email us through awrnairobi at ek.adventist.org. Until next time, I've been a presenter, Samuel Wangi. Stay safe, stay blessed. Precious Redeemer, my brother and friend, and all is my Savior. Only his grace and his blessings be said. I'm longing a savior for thee. Longing a savior and longing for thee. Best in the moment when Jesus I see. Longing to be savior with thee. Savior with thee.